why, what's going on, you know, and to understand actually that every emotion is actually, (laughs) this is where I feel like we've gaslit ourselves as a society. Um, thinking that however we feel in our bodies, we shouldn't feel. Just think about that for a minute. talking about self-love on this episode. And before we started, I just wanted to share a very cool celebration from one of our current clients. This is, uh, I think, a great example of self-love, which I'll get into very briefly at the end. He says, two big celebrations this week. Number one, I went to a meetup last Saturday and I didn't really have opportunities to hit on women, but I had a lot of opportunities to make new friends and I absolutely killed it. I think I did a really good job at making people feel seen, striking up conversation, creating vulnerable conversation and being non-judgmental. I also made a ton of quips throughout the night that got the entire group laughing, which felt electric. Number two, after a year plus long hiatus, I returned to a Latin dance event for the first time on Friday. Long story short, I again didn't hit on anybody, but somebody ended up getting my number. In one sense, I felt like I had a couple opportunities to take that leap of faith first and get hers, but I just felt insecure and presumptuous about doing that, and I'm catching myself in the pattern of looking for security in the outcome, which is preventing me from just taking the risk, taking a bunch of losses, and maybe scoring some wins. Secondly, I felt a bit unsexy and inadequate that night. And I was really surprised that she was interested in me. It felt like counter evidence for me in feeling, quote, sexy enough, which I find helpful in challenging that limiting core belief that I have. Anyway, the whole thing made me feel really good. And I got a lot of of perspective from that experience of someone getting my number. So I just love those celebrations. It feels like healthy risk-taking and self-love and getting out to events and meeting people and being present. So... Without any further ado, we'll get into this episode. And I also just wanted to mention that we have several live events coming up and we're going to talk more about those in upcoming episodes. But one of them is a shadow weekend with Jason and Luke, and that is coming up in about two weeks. I believe it starts September 19th. I will drop that information in the show notes. And we also have a live event in November, which is described at the end of this episode. So again, all of those links will be in the show notes if you're interested in any of those opportunities. And of course, you can always work with me and Jason anytime. Just go to evolutionary.men slash apply to take action and transform your love life now. See you on the other side. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode. I'm very excited to have my friend Megan here today. We are talking about myths about self-love and she is a self-love expert. So welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Long time in the making. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we've been talking about doing this for a long time, so it's pretty exciting. Um, so we're going to be talking about myths around self-love today. But first, I guess I wanted to, yeah, just ask about, you know, you, you've worked with um, singles and couples, people in um, monogamous relationships and non-monogamous relationships, sort of big breadth of experience. I'm just curious if you can speak to a few relationship patterns that tend to show up when one or both partners doesn't kind of have self-love practices or 
doesn't love themselves at a deep level? What sort of tends to happen between people? And if you want to share your personal experience, we'd be very interested in that as well, if that's if that's relevant. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, I mean, I can speak to it generally and then I will share my personal experience too. So what I've noticed and that I can relate to is that if we are not in a good relationship with ourselves, if we are not able to love ourselves, it gets really easy to resent the people that we are around, even and especially the people that we love the most. Because if we cannot be with ourselves and give ourselves what it is that our partner maybe is giving themselves, uh, we will blame them. We will resent them. We will judge them. We will externalize the feeling, the withholding that we have for ourselves and aim it at them. It doesn't feel good. It will hurt relationships. Resent is a killer of relationships. Another thing, too, is that if we are not feeling self-love, it's really hard to access that safe place within us. So if you hear attachment theory is all the buzz right now. So basically, attachment shows us, are we securely attached to ourselves, i.e., you have self-love, you can be a loving witness for yourself, or if you're insecurely attached. If you're insecurely attached, your tendencies are going to be to avoid avoid your partner, avoid important uh, conversations, to avoid certain situations, or you're going to control. You're going to control your partner. You're going to control your kids. You're going to control. And so those, that's actually coming from a place of not being safe. To me, self-love is the antidote. So those are a few examples of probably many I could give. And I know I'm definitely an expert in this as well, because I didn't even start my own self-love journey until about five years ago. And five years ago, uh, my husband and I, my husband of, at that point, 17 years, (laughs) had decided to open up our relationship. Uh, Honestly, you guys, we had no idea what we were getting into. (laughs) No idea. And so it has been a huge learning curve. Um, I wouldn't trade it for anything, but I'm not here to be an open relationship or polyamorous advocate. Um, I think that everyone needs to choose the relationship structure that works best for them. Monogamy is a very beautiful uh, relationship structure. There are the other side, which is what I've been uh, experiencing for the last five years, um, is having two partners, actually. So that's where the most of my experience come, comes from. And I can tell you the moment where I realized that I did not have a loving relationship with myself, it was already when I was in these two partnerships. And I realized I had two people that I loved that loved me, but something was missing. And I remember the moment that that, that poured out of me, where I realized, oh my God, I don't even love myself this could be an issue. Like this could be driving some of the patterns that I see in both of my relationships right now. So that was a couple of years ago. And since then I've worked with thousands of people from around the world, um, around this topic and I'm super passionate. So I could be more excited to support men in this because I think specifically men can have this idea, right. That it's like, Oh, self-love. That's kind of like a fruit fruit topic. Like, eh, you know, so let's, I can't wait to dig in. <laughs> Yeah. I'm curious, you know, you mentioned the, the part about something feeling missing, like having two partners that you loved that loved you and still feeling like there was something missing. Can you share a little bit about what that actually felt like? Like, was it an emptiness or a gnawing sensation or what, what did it feel like to notice that? It, uh, you know what? I couldn't have told you in words what it felt like when I wasn't there for myself, but I can tell you what it feels like now <laughs> that I am there for myself. Um, I, you know, if I had to put it into words, it was kind of like a low level sadness. 
um, like something was missing from my life, but I didn't know what it was. I was kind of looking outside of myself and, you know, and I don't want to say that that was the driver of open the re- opening the relationship, although I'm sure it was a factor. Like I was missing myself for me and my partner at the time was like, God, you are, you know, or my partner at the time, my husband was like, you, you know, your heart is off. <laughs> your heart is off, Megan. What is happening? And that's actually, that was the driver of opening up our relationship. Um, which again, I'm, I wouldn't change it for the world, but I think one of the factors that was there is that I wasn't, I, I didn't even know that I wasn't in touch with myself. Um, I didn't know the skills to check in. I didn't know that that was something I should prioritize. I didn't have the translation tool of like understanding what was happening in my body. Um, you know, now I have this beautiful relationship with myself, uh, which isn't always perfect. Obviously this is a self-love is a practice, but I would say now I relate to myself like a primary relationship. I, I, it's like, I, I am present with myself in a way that I have never been. And it still takes practice. It's still like daily checking in going, okay, what is happening in this body? What does this body need? How is my heart today? What's, you know, what am I feeling? Is that okay? I mean, I could dig into the actual practices and I'm sure we will at some point. Uh, But it was, I would say, if I had to sum it up, a general low level sadness or feeling of lack to now a very present sensation of being in my body with myself, understanding myself, being aware, accepting uh, all of the pieces that actually make a good relationship, a good relationship. (laughs) And I'm curious if you can speak a little to how has that impacted your two love relationships? Mm. It's so profoundly, and I will say it has impacted me as a mom. I'm a mom of twin (laughs) eight-year-olds, so I think I show up differently for them, too. I've got a lot more space. So, ooh, I'm going to tell myself here. My marriage with my amazing husband, Marty, um, was definitely full of resent, and I didn't know why it was there. I, you know, I, I didn't have skills to like work through that resent, but I think that resent was there because I wasn't giving myself the things that I needed. I wasn't requested what, what I needed. And honestly, I just blamed him. Like I just blamed him for him not meeting my needs, him not understanding anything I could blame him for. Really. I did. <laughs> it was, our relationship was not, not fantastic in that regard. So I have cleaned up a lot of that resent and actually I don't even allow it to accrue. Um, having a better relationship with myself has made me more accountable for me. Like I am accountable for my nervous system. I am accountable for what it is that I'm feeling. I'm accountable to understand that and make requests or meet those needs myself. I've taken off a lot of pressure from my husband to meet, to meet certain needs. Like obviously we're still in a beautiful relationship, so he does meet needs for me and I meet needs for him. That's what relating is. Um, and Um, I don't look to him like my sole source for all of my needs being met. Now that is both self-love and the partnership structure of polyamory. So now I have two partners that I can go to, to meet certain needs, um, with my second partner who has just moved to the U S um, he's deepening his relationship with another person. And I think self-love has allowed me to accept these changes truly without blaming him. And honestly, without closing my heart, I'm still able to be in a really loving relationship with him. Uh, I see that he is meeting the needs that he needs to meet for him to be the best version of himself. 
so this, you know, and I, I'm sure as my own practices continue to deepen, so will my ability to love and be present and show up for my partners, for my kids. Um, on the child note, just for a moment, I, before I went down this path, I had no room or ability to be with my own sadness, my own anger, um, anything that I didn't deem as a positive emotion, I couldn't be with, I didn't make space for. So I had a hard time being with those emotions with my kids. And now that I can be there for myself and that those emotional states, I can hold them in a loving space. It doesn't mean that it's always uncomfortable, you know, like my kids being upset. It's like, that's a lot to work through, but I can hold space for them in a way that makes me really happy. Um, on good days. On days where I'm drained, it's still a challenge because shit parenting is challenging anyway. <laughs> Don't want to sound, you know, too idyllic here. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, to ground this in a concrete example of needs, um, one of my needs is for quality attention. So for someone to ask me good questions and for me to feel like they want to know who I am and they want to know about my life. So I need attention. And then for a long time, and I'd say probably still now I have, I hold shame around needing attention. So there's a part of me that mm. thinks I shouldn't need attention or I shouldn't need as much attention or whatever it is. And so it's hard for me to ask for that. It's hard for me to say, I would love more attention. I need attention on me to a partner. So to your point, mm. what I have frequently witnessed in past relationships is I want the attention I don't tell him I want more attention and I silently resent him for not giving me more attention. And then I'll judge mm. him as being selfish or self-involved or stupid or whatever it is. I don't tend to, I'm not someone who tends to verbalize. I don't act out. I tend to like one of mm -hmm. my partners said, you don't explode, you implode. So mm -hmm. I don't have acting out tendencies, but just to ground the conversation, that's one example of, there's a need that I have. Maybe I have shame around it. Many of us have shame around our needs, which we'll probably get to. And mm -hmm. because of that shame, it's hard for me to ask for what I deeply need. And so I'm hoping or expecting the other person to give it to me. And then when they don't, I resent them. Yeah. Which is very different from actually voicing it or naming it or asking for it. And so I just wanted to ground that in one sort of concrete, when we're talking about needs, that's an example of a need that you might not even be aware of, but might be running things. So I love what you said about where, where resentment is showing up. <laughs> there's often a wants and needs and there's something around self-love and there is a balance, right? Of how much do, how much do I get that need for attention met by a partner versus by myself? And mm -hmm. by friends or by other people in my life, I'm very aware that mm -hmm. my partner isn't there to meet all of my needs all the time. And that is a need that I have in relationship. I need to feel like you want to know who I am. And if that's missing, I feel less connected to you. But because, because of the feelings around it, it's not, it's not as straightforward as me saying, Hey, can you hand me my water bottle? Right. Like there's mm -hmm. certain needs that are really easy for me to ask for. And then there are the really deep ones that are really hard to ask for. And that's where the resentment shows up. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. And I can relate. And I love that you use that example because when I tell people, when we, when we dig into our needs and we actually get there, 
I use the example, imagine how easily you realize that you're thirsty, right? It, the sensation arises in your body. You're like, oh, I'm thirsty. I recognize that. I'm aware of it. I recognize it. I accept I'm thirsty. I don't have judgment that I'm thirsty. And I go reach for my water glass and I take a sip of my water and I don't have any conversation around it in my head, right? That is an example of, of the whole process of self-love that is so simple. You're like, great, I'm thirsty. I drink water. That's really easy. And then when we can't do that to, for all, like so many other needs, you know, but imagine it, it could be that easy if we accept those parts of ourselves. And uh, what you just talked about for me brought up this idea of the shadows and what we put in the shadows and what we hide because we hide the needs or the parts of ourselves so we don't feel like are acceptable, that we don't accept, that others have told us are unacceptable, that we've learned uh, to just hide. And so a lot of the self-love practice, actually for me personally and for others that I've seen, it has been unearthing and putting light into all of these corners of ourselves to be like, oh, I don't want to see that one. Like, I don't want to admit to myself that I am like that. Um, and I can totally relate on the attention one too. It's like, I'm, I want attention. Yes. I want attention, please. <laughs> so let's start to move into the, the three myths because I think they'll relate to everything that we're talking about here. Um, what's our first one? Uh, well, the first one is I, I think a lot of people consider self-love to be very surface level. Like self-love is bubble baths and chocolate. <laughs> and massages and facials. Yeah, massages and facials. It's, it's foot rubs. It's, you know, all of the surface level stuff. Now there's nothing wrong with self-care at that level. That's wonderful. But I think that's only scratching the surface of what self-love actually is. So if you consider, if we go back to this needs conversation, I think that this is really profound because as, you know, as babies, babies are born into the world, they are helpless. They learn to cry to have their needs met. Um, as adults, you know, that's really like a third person, an exterior person taking care of those needs being met. But really what self-love is, is the ability to be aware at the most fundamental level of our body, heart, mind, and spirit, what it is that we need. <laughs> what is it that we need to thrive? What is it that we need to keep our bodies healthy, to keep our, our mental health in check, to have an emotionally healthy inner world? And to be spiritually healthy. And by spiritually healthy, I mean, do we find purpose? How do we connect to the world around us? And where do we source our power? I think all of these things are such, they're so fundamental to being human. And it is crazy to me that this is not actually the most foundational piece of our education of being human. <laughs> it's really crazy to me. I think the reason that self-love isn't a bigger topic yet is that we don't realize that this is actually the source for everything else that we do. It is the way that we relate. It's the way that we relate to other people. Um, and I would, you know, I view it like accountability. Can we be accountable for ourselves as humans in the world to understand what it is that we need and communicate that to the people around us or meet those needs ourselves? So to me, self-love is anything but just chocolates and flowers to ourselves or the surface level. Um, and the way that I also explain that is it's in four steps. Um, the first step is awareness. You have to become aware. If you're not willing to become aware of the information coming up and through your body, if you're not willing to become aware of your emotions or your needs, um, you will 
you will not make it far <laughs> in self-love here. So it's awareness and then acceptance, which can be really tricky because as soon as we become aware, uh, Mel, that was just what you said is like, I don't want to I don't want to accept these pieces of myself. I just want to hide these pieces of myself in a closet and pretend like they don't exist. But then we, then actually those pieces are really running our lives. Um, so it's awareness, acceptance of what, it, who we are truly. And then self-worth. Are we worthy? Are we worthy of meeting those needs ourselves? Are we worthy of being, having those needs uh, met by others? Um, are we worthy of doing the work that we want to do in the world? Uh, so finding self-worth and then self-care is the actual like rubber meets the road. Like I've, I've become aware of this. I accept it. I find myself worthy. And now I'm actually going to do the thing. I'm going to show up for myself. I'm going to ask for what I need. I'm going to do the work that I want to do in the world. So to me, self-love touches every aspect of our life. And so an example of that could be, I'm feeling lonely or disconnected. I'm aware that I'm feeling lonely or disconnected. I accept that that's the experience I'm having. Even if I'm around other people, I quote, shouldn't be feeling that way. I'm accepting like, this is actually how I'm feeling. And then mm -hmm. I am worth being heard or I am worth receiving the attention I need. I'm okay with that. And then self-care could be me reaching out to someone and saying, I need someone to put some attention on me. Are you available? Mm -hmm. One example, perhaps, is that, is that where you're exactly. going? Exactly. I will actually give you an example from last week. So you and I had to reschedule this last week because I was sick. So my husband was out of town. Uh, I got the stomach flu Then my two kids got the stomach flu. And so I was solo parenting. Uh, I have a good friend here that I called to say, Hey, I am really in need of support. <laughs> so she came over, but then she got sick. It was really not a great, fantastic week. And by the end of the week, when my husband got back, I was like tapping out. I'm like, uncle, I'm noticing that I have a short fuse with my kids. I'm actually starting to yell at them because my batteries are drained so low. Um, and where my tendency would have normally been like, no, no, I can, I can tough through it and I don't need anybody and I can do it myself. Looking at my husband going, help, <laughs> help. I need support. I need to get out actually he's fresh. He's come off of a week of, um, going to visit his dad in the U S. And so he's like, you know, we talked about it and I, we both decided I'd get a night out at a hotel. So it was just me there for me. I needed to get out. I took care of myself. And then that one 24 hours totally rejuvenated me and came back and I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm ready to go. There's no way I would have requested that a couple of years ago. No way. A couple years ago, if you hadn't requested that, I'm imagining that you would have perhaps gotten sick again, but also um, felt really resentful, really resentful. Totally. Already hadn't done more, provided more, anticipated your needs, figured them out for you, all the things that we do. Is that is that accurate? Like what would have happened in the past versus- Oh, I would have resented him. I would have been so upset. And, and for like the next week or two in my head, like that little shit, he got a week off and I was sick with the kids and, you know, and then he comes back and he's out again because he's working a lot and I'm still not recovered. And I would have just blamed, I would have blamed him more and I would have been all self-righteous in it, but then that wouldn't have helped my relationship at all. <laughs> So and now here I've had this perfect example of, you know, having a partner that's like, oh, hey, I support you. I see. I hear you're down. Cool. What do you need? Mm -hmm. Now I get to love him. And that is a good example of self-care in that moment was not 
chocolate and flowers or a foot rub, it was saying to a partner, I'm tapped out and I need help. And that is a vulnerable place for many of us. For many of us saying, I need help is one of the hardest things we can do. It's one of the most, it's one of the places where we hold the most shame. At least I can say Mm -hmm. clients, that is the pinnacle of the work is being able to actually reach out and say, I need help. Are you available? There's so much Mm -hmm. and crap wrapped up in it and stuff from our childhoods. And it's just, it's sort of like the boss level of the video game is getting to a place. And I think that's even more true for men in our culture. I think there's even more shame and stigma around men being able to reach out for help. I think it's much more normalized in the world. Mm. hard for all of us. And I think it's extra hard for men, people who identify as men. So I just want to say that's to highlight the act of self-love wasn't you going and getting yourself a facial. It was actually, I need help saying Mm -hmm. to your partner. And then the two of you figuring out what that would look like, but it all stemmed from that willingness to be with what was so, and to say, I need help. Can we figure this Mm -hmm. out? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Well said. Yeah. And um, what's number two? Okay. Number two. Oh, this is a big one. I think self-love has this myth around it that if you love yourself, you're, you're just always happy <laughs> or that self-love is always about happiness and that's it. And uh, yes, like self-love, like happiness is a byproduct of self-love that's going to arise when your needs are met, when you're in touch with yourself. Yeah. You might find yourself to be happy more. Um, it doesn't mean that you're always happy. So I like to make a distinction here about the loving witness. Um, anyone that has done parts work or, you know, if you have started to understand eternal family systems, you can look at yourself and like, okay, I have all these different parts that might have different needs and they're speaking out. Um, you might have a part that's very frustrated or very angry about something. You might just feel angry and you don't know why. So to me, I like to separate out and use this question, how am I relating to myself? How am I relating to myself means that there's a, there's like an I that I'm relating to. And that self that I'm relating to might be upset, might be sad, might be experiencing uh, whatever slew of emotions, the, the human range of emotions. And so this loving witness actually gets to be present for that self to say, I hear you, I see you, I see that you're angry. Why? What's going on? You know, and to understand actually that every emotion is actually, this is where I feel like we've gaslit ourselves as a society, um, thinking that however we feel in our bodies, we shouldn't feel. Just think about that for a minute. (laughs) That's crazy. Like, that's crazy to be like, I feel like this. This is currently happening in my body. I feel upset. I feel sad. I feel, you know, whatever it is that we're feeling. And then to tell ourselves that we shouldn't feel that if we loved ourselves, we shouldn't, we wouldn't be feeling that. No, the thing is you feel that you make room for yourself. And I noticed with men, because I've uh, been working with men more in the self-love program, I find that this is a little bit stereotypical, but so I will apologize, uh, but that men can sometimes have a harder time checking in and actually understanding the feeling that they're feeling, (laughs) how to name it, how to identify it. And so I work with people around, I call it sensorial data. (laughs) 
that that helps the brain kick in a little bit more. It's like, what sensory data is coming up through your body? How does your gut feel? How does your heart feel? Does your throat feel closed? Like what sensory data can you pick up? And that takes a little training because we live in a world where, especially for men, they're taught to like close this off and that whatever is happening in their body, either one isn't happening, which is crazy, or two isn't valid or important information. And both of those are not true, that it is so important. The trick is though, is not only feeling what you feel in your body, it's being able to identify the message that it's carrying. And every single emotion is carrying a message for you. For example, anger, that's one of our primary emotions that you'll see kids, toddlers, you know, fuming with anger. It's because something feels unjust or they're not getting what they want. Like that's a pretty basic piece of information that's coming up and through you. And it's really valid. So if you're in a relationship and you're finding anger arising, that's a really good time to ask yourself, okay, what is, what is feeling unfair or what need is not met that perhaps I could work on meeting myself or asking my partner to, to meet because there's a level of frustration, and anger in my body. That's a, an easy example. Um, but we could go into sadness too. You know, if you're starting to feel sad, we live in a culture where we're told here, take a pill. Don't be sad. <laughs> like that to me again, feels crazy to me. Sadness is that you're missing something of value or you've lost something of value. You've lost something that's important to you. Um, that's really important information to have. There's a piece of you that is seeking something. What is it seeking? Did you have it and lose it? Did you never have it? Is it something that you have room for that you want, like a loving relationship? Um, that, that all can arise. So yeah, all of these pieces of information, um, are there for us. And if we can take that loving witness stand with curiosity to say, why might I be feeling this emotion? Or what emotion might I be feeling? And then work with it. It had so much valuable information that then you can use to kind of live your life, be the creator of your life. Yeah. And I want to give a shout out here to mentors and mentorship and learning how to do this because I work with a lot of men who are unused to this process and it can feel overwhelming and it can feel like, I don't really know what I, how I'm feeling. I just know I want more intimacy with my partner, or I know Mm -hmm. I want closeness in my life, or I'm lonely, or why can I never get a second date? Or why am I always reaching out to my woman and never feeling like I'm getting reached back to? So the way that it shows up, it, I guess what I'm saying is, it makes a lot of sense to have mentors here. So whether it's therapists or coaches or group work or just mentors to learn how to do this, it's the most important foundational work we can do. Mm-hmm. And you and I both work with people in relationships. And again, just want to sort of make the link that this is the best work you can do for your relationship. So yes, yes, counseling is great and working together is is wonderful and everything rests on this. If you if you get into couples counseling and you can't identify how you feel or what you need, it's going to take longer, it's going to be harder, it's going to be messier. It's it's like the foundation of the house before the house. So the foundation mm-hmm. of the house is our own self-love. The house is the relationship. If the foundation is off, if there are cracks, it's going to be a lot harder. So I just wanted to say that 
find the right mentors, find mentors that you click with, that you like, that you feel that you feel held by, that you feel engaged by, or that have the things that you want and, and lean into that because it's, it's pretty hard to do a lot of this on our own, especially if you weren't role modeled, good practices in your home, which I'm going to go out on a limb and say the vast majority of us were not (laughs) given very good role models. So yeah, just wanted to say that about this particular point. Oh my God. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. This, so this is a skill set. This is not a mystery. This is not magic. This is a skill set and it can be learned. I just was doing a self-love workshop yesterday and there were a couple of men on the call and I asked the men at the end, well, I asked the whole group what they thought about it. And one of the men at the end told me, I feel hopeful. I feel hopeful that I can learn this. I didn't know, I didn't know it was a skill set I could learn. And I think that that is like a huge message and yes, work with someone so that you can maybe shorten your learning curve or start to learn how to connect those physical sensations to emotions, to needs being met or unmet. Um, yeah. Or I will give, can I give two practices here? So, okay. Real tangible practice. This is, um, when you notice that you're actually like doing really well, when you're like, Holy cow, I feel great. Like what's happening. Check in with your body check in with your body when you're like, okay, how does this feel in my body and really get into and describe it in words in your head? Like, wow, my, my heart feels expansive or, oh, my body feels like my muscles feel relaxed or I feel energetic. Like everybody has different words. So you're strengthening that body mind connection when you are doing that. So that is when you're noticing that you're doing really well. And then if you notice that that you're having a rough time, if you are feeling any type of anything going on, I like to ask people to get out of their heads for just a minute and actually go into the part of the body that you're feeling and name it, like describe it. My chest feels tight. My shoulders are tense. My gut feels like in knots. And so what you're doing is actually training yourself to be with whatever is arising in your body and that it's not going to kill you. Like it might suck. It may really like really hurt in your body, but it's not going to kill you. And you're training your yourself to check in with, with what is actually happening and telling your brain that that, that information is important. And that again is strengthening that mind body connection. And then the more that you're able to do that, the more it'll just be easier to check back in to go, okay, I feel something. And then it'll become a habit. Um, and it just, the more that you can do that, the more it will become habitual. And then at some point you won't even have to think about it. You'll just be like, Ooh, I notice I'm anxious, um, because I, my heart is racing or, you know, all these other things might be happening in your body. I hope that's helpful for some people. Helpful relationship skills. Something that I've coached my couples on is when you are having a moment of tension, it's completely neutral to report to your partner. My stomach is in knots right now. I'm having trouble breathing and I can't really feel my legs. That is a very different message than just staying quiet or saying something's not working. Like reporting bodily experience gives your partner a lot of information and helps them recognize that you are having a real experience and for mm-hmm. a, it helps them slow down. It helps them take a beat and just like, Oh yeah, you're actually, cause when they're in their trigger, when they're in their, you know, reactivity, I find that 
either partner or both partners sharing what's happening in their physical bodies can slow things down a little bit and help get out of the content and into the somatics of like, oh yeah, no, we're both really activated right now. We Mm -hmm. need to slow down. So that's just another tip is if you're in relationship, this can also be a very useful practice. And so practicing it on your own. Oh, I love that. Yeah. It's both. Yeah. Yeah. And actually I'm going to give my other partner, Kyle, a shout out for that because he was the first one to actually ask me, this was a couple of years ago. He's like, Megan, how do you, what's happening in your body? He just asked me and it brought me out of this, like, you know, story of what was happening to actually in my body. And I will forever remember that moment because it was so impactful. It was like, Oh yeah, there's a whole other experience happening here. It was, yeah, super, super helpful. That's like a gift. If you can do that for your partner, if you can be like, what is happening in your body? Huge game changer. Awesome. And what about number three? Okay. Oh, number three, we are in a binary world. So self-love is either something that you have or don't have point point. No self-love is a practice. It's like a yoga practice. It's a muscle. It is ongoing. I don't think it ever stops. I think it can even atrophy if we're not using it. Um, but then we can always come back to it. It's kind of like riding a bike or yeah, any physical practice, you just get back into it. Um, I, that this makes me really happy because it makes me feel like I'm developing right now and I'm working with people to develop a lifelong muscle (laughs) and that, that just feels so amazing. It feels like this is a skill set that will serve someone for their entire life and actually have ripples, you know, I don't know, beyond, uh, what we can imagine. I think also I have to tell you, I even have to catch myself like when I was sick this last week, oh man, self-love was really far. (laughs) Like that was, that was really far. My world went like from this huge expansive place to like me in the bed. Like that's how big my world was. Um, so it, you know, the mind can come up with these crazy stories to be like, Oh, I've lost it. You know, I'm not that person I was just a week ago. (laughs) It's not true. And it's funny when you actually catch yourself thinking it, um, it's, you just, get back on the horse and like start practicing again. Uh, So I always like to laugh at myself because I I teach this and I still get stuck in the mental trap of, you know, blaming myself or shaming myself or even asking like, how can I be teaching this to other people? I'm not even feeling it myself. And then I'd like that little voice is like, Megan, this is why you teach it to other people because this is so your learning path. You are, you are in the thick of it learning and who better to teach this than someone that is really committed to learning this and practicing it. (laughs) Yeah. One of the things we talk about in our work with our men is, um, self-love isn't about doing something perfectly or doing things perfectly. So for example, you know, we get a lot of men who are, who have used porn and masturbation as a way to regulate their nervous system. So some people classify this as porn addiction. Um, we usually use more regulation language. There's a way that we can beat ourselves up, right? If we're like, okay, I'm going to stop this practice. Let's say it's um, smoking marijuana or porn and masturbation. I'm going to stop this because I know it's not good for me. There's a way that if we fall off the wagon, right? If we go back to a practice like that because we had a hard moment or whatever, 
that's where self-love really comes into play in, in, from what I have seen as how do we treat ourselves when we quote screw up, right? That's, that is such a moment of potential self-love or self-criticism and self-judgment. And I'm a piece of shit. I said, I was going to do this. I made an agreement with myself. I broke my agreement. I'm, I'm worthless. How can I trust myself? All of, all of the rest of it. So I do think that there's something, um, about perfection and perfectionism and mistakes. Like how do we treat ourselves when we're not strong? You know, to your point, I had a big, hard thing this winter around health and same thing. I had a lot of like, Oh my God, like my whole world is my bed. I can barely get up. I can't really move. I'm pretty helpless. I need help to feed myself right now. Um, and one of my mantras through that period was I'm doing the best that I can. The best I can do today is shower and eat a little bit of soup. And that is it. That is the best I can do. And forgiving myself for not doing more, contributing more, participating more, making more money, you know, writing more, you know, I was like, I can't do anything. I can barely take care of myself. That's the best I can do. So I think there's something around our culture and productivity and like, what, what does self-love look like in, in a capitalist culture? It's, it's not always about producing, but there is such a strong part of all of us because we did grow up in the West. If you're listening to this in the West saying you, you have to do more, do more, do more, do more. There's such a drive around that. And then paired, paired with that is what if you mess up? What if you mess something up? What if you said you were going to do something and you don't, how do you treat yourself around mistakes? How do you treat yourself around, um, or perceived mistakes? That is a big, that is a big thing, um, that I feel like I've seen repeatedly is it's actually of immense value when a man falls off the wagon of whatever he's decided to, to give up, because that is a moment where self-love can, can show up, really show up. So if you, if you just did it perfectly, if you were like, okay, I'm giving up porn. And then you just gave up porn. You would never have that moment of forgiving yourself. Like, yeah, I had a tough week. I was having trouble regulating. And I went back to this strategy that I, my nervous system knows helps, helps, helps me clear my mind or whatever it is. And so how do we show up for ourselves in those moments of, I fucked it up. I fucked something up. Like that is such a tender place and can bring us back to places when we were young, where we were shamed or love was taken away because we made a mistake. So that feels like an important piece around this of it being binary. It's not binary. It's like you get, you can get better at forgiving yourself. And to me, self-forgiveness is a big part of self-love. Any comments on that? Oh my God. Oh, just, yes. All of it. All of it. I think, so there's two pieces. Um, the second part will be a practice, like a mental practice that I do. Um, but that first one is just understanding that the self is always different <laughs> and every single moment of the day, we are not the same self. And we live in this world. Like we are one self that is always the same. We're not every, every point of consciousness you know, even if you check in, if you got not a lot of sleep the night before, you were going to show up differently than if you got a full night of sleep. 
um, and factor in every single variable you can think of. We are never the same self. You are always relating to a different self. That's why self-love is so tricky to wrap your head around because you can love who you were a day ago, but you're not that same person you were a day ago. Uh, there, there's different information coming up. You, your, your environment's different. Your inner world's different. So that's how I hold myself daily is <laughs> like, what, what I is showing up here? What self is there to love? Um, and the second one is a mental, um, kind of a mental trick that I use for myself. And you just, you ran through it really quickly. So I'm going to break it apart a little bit. You said, this is the best that I can do today. And that's a mantra, right? So what you weren't stating was that you probably had an anchor thought or like a triggering thought show up, which is, uh, I suck or I'm not good enough, or I'll never be able to do this. There's some usually trigger thought that then will trigger a whole slew of other thoughts and behaviors. And so I like to plant a flag in that that original thought, that trigger thought. And when I catch myself thinking that thought, I actually congratulate myself. I'm like, I caught it. I do not shame myself. That shaming, blaming, judging myself is going to carry me further down that spiral. If I can catch that triggering thought and celebrate it, and then what I do is try to veer by like 1%. (laughs) Uh, because if you're having a shitty day, if you're really like in self-hate moment, you're not going to be like, I love myself. Like that's way too far. That's like looking at a mountaintop over miles away. You know, you might be like, okay, I'm really glad I caught myself. I was saying, I hate myself. Okay. Right now I'm having a hard time being with myself, but I'm being here. That's like a slight pivot, right? You see the difference? I'm having a hard time being with this self, but I'm, I'm here. I'm not going to check out. (laughs) So I like to imagine the 1% changes as just as impactful, if not more over time. And I give myself a ton of grace, uh, when I experience that 1% to be like, okay, cool. Caught myself, celebrated it. And I thought a new thought that's going to send me on a slightly different trajectory. And I've worked with so many people on this, and I can tell you, this is one of the biggest, um, uh, ways to help people catch themselves for habit patterns that they want to break. Um, and it, because you're catching it before the actual behavior sets out, you're catching it at the thought level. So if you can celebrate yourself for catching those nasty little thoughts, like that's, that's it. (laughs) I really appreciate that you speaking also to the 1% and to the smaller shifts, because I do think I, I do use mantras and I find them valuable and useful and they're, if the mantra doesn't fit the moment, if it feels too far away, it's not useful or valuable. So it has to be the right. Mm -hmm. I just appreciate that, that redirect of, and I do. And I think that I will just name that my trigger thought is I'm not doing enough. I'm not doing doing enough. I'm not doing enough. I'm not doing enough. And I think that's pretty common in our culture. Um, Mm -hmm. everyone has different ones, but, um, I just appreciate you naming that, that, you know, shifting even a little bit, is a lot better than nothing. And it is, that is, mm-hmm. we, we actually tend to grow <laughs> is in those mm-hmm. shifts right? repeatedly over time rather than massive, massive shifts. And of course there is a place for massive shifts. There is a place for massive openings. That's why we go to workshops. It's why we do plant medicine. It's why we have <clears throat> huge mm-hmm. experiences and everyone in the world of personal growth will tell you that the small shifts over time are what add up to the biggest shifts in our lives and, and with the little mm-hmm. of peak experiences in there, but 
you know, habit change experts, everyone will say playing guitar for five minutes a day is absolutely superior to an hour once a week. Like <laughs> it's the smaller yeah. habits over time where you tend to learn more and, and, um, change your nervous system. Really. I mean, that's a lot of what mm-hmm. we're out here. And as we're yeah. starting to, to move towards closing, I'm wondering, can you give a few examples of, if you have examples of men, that would be great. Really anyone in your programs, self-love programs, what has, what, what are a few of these common trigger thoughts? And also what have you noticed over time working with people as they're working on self-love? How has that impacted their, their relationships, their love relationship? Mm. Cause you work with both okay. and partnered people. I've, you work with both. Yeah. Yeah. The majority of the people in my courses are in, they're just in it kind of themselves. They might be single or partnered uh, because I do a lot more group work. Um, I do one-on-ones, but I really do a lot more group programs. So your first question was, what are some of the trigger thoughts that men have? Um, I notice a lot around getting back up into the head. So a really benign one could be, I I have to figure it out. I'll figure that out. And so I know that one too. It's not just men. It's like, I'm really good at going up into my mental space. Okay. I've got to figure this out or I've got to work harder. And uh, having that one go, Oh, I'm a backup here because I think my life can be figured out. A lot of the stuff that's happening, it's not going to be figured out that way. And so that allows people to get back into their heart space or back into the body, uh, which then can have more information. Um, Oh, I'm trying to think about uh, a lot of where I, again, I th- it's not just men. I would say it's um, a lot of people. We get stuck into future projections. So another thing, this is like a slightly tangential topic, but I think it's really important to note. If you're projecting a future that is really shitty and having like a, sh- you're feeling shitty in your body and you're projecting a shitty future, that is actually not your future that is information back for how you feel in the current moment. (laughs) That is it. That is it. That is it. That is it. So many people feel shitty. They project a shitty future and then they they start like taking shitty actions. I'm like, no people, it's information for you to get back to a good grounded, safe place. Like that is your job. That is it. Do not make do not make your life from that shitty place. And so I don't want to, like, I laugh because I, I still catch myself on this one. Uh, it's like, come back, come back here, come back here. Then I'm going to make decisions. So people, anyone that's in a relationship, you know, just calm yourself down first. Be like, I am noticing I am not loving myself right now in the moment. I'm going to wait until I'm back into a centered place. Then I will talk to my partner. Then I will have a solid conversation. Um, it's just really (laughs) just catching ourselves in that. Um, I'm trying to think of your second question, which was it sort of how, what have you noticed as people are moving through a self-love program and establishing more of it growing in that way? How does that affect their relationship, their love relationships? Oh my God. In so many ways. Um, the biggest way is people feel empowered to make the agreements that work for them. It's that simple because so much is on default when we are not conscious of who we are, what we need, what works best for us and valuing that and making those requests. There's really, when you start to bring this to the surface, it actually could feel like more work or it feels like you're kind of going backwards, but you're not, you're just becoming aware of all of the areas of your relationship that are not serving you. And so when you start to get that, you start empowering yourself to say, 
is this how we need to relate? Is could we do this a different way? And then the relationship really starts to take off in like such a beautiful different trajectory. Can you give a few concrete examples of what you mean by agreements? Yeah. Um, okay. So yeah. So for me, I mean, I'll, I'll bring it back to my my example. Uh, my my. So before my other partner was here, I lived with my husband and my two children. And uh, sometimes my husband is with his other partner and sometimes um, he's here. And before, six months ago, I used to be with my other partner some days and sometimes here. So that's not anymore. My other partner moved to the U.S. And I realized, (laughs) me, I realized, oh my God, when I am here every day with the kids and I am not getting myself out and about, I... Uh, become resentful or I'm just like, I'm not as excited. I need novelty. Like I recognize that I need novelty. I need interactions. Uh, so I, even though my other partner is not here, I am still working with my, my husband to request time out. I need, like, I need these things. I just got myself, uh, certified in scuba diving, Patty certification. Cause I'm like, I need novelty. <laughs> these are things that I need. So I'm reaching out and making the agreements that work, uh, where before I could have classified them as selfish or, you know, like not give it to myself. But now I'm like, actually, I, for me to be happy, this mama bear needs like, a, needs some novelty, needs some newness, some excitement, some, yeah, different people. Um, this is really relating very much into the world of polyamory, but I still need to date. I still want to go out and meet people. Um, I need to recognize that for my relationship agreements. And I'm at the point where that is a non-negotiable, like that is just a non-negotiable for my for my relationship at this point. (laughs) And I own it. You know, I could sit here and like say a whole bunch of mean stuff to myself about it, but I just own it. Like this is actually what works best for me at this point in time. I totally reserve the right to be monogamous at some point. If I choose that that relationship structure works best for me at that point in my life. (laughs) Yeah. I think that, yeah, that word agreements, you know, I think, um, Jason, who's on the podcast a lot and his wife, Violet have some agreements around him going to a certain number of men's retreats each year um, because he really needs that time in nature with his men mm. from the world, particularly the urban world in, in nature with his men in order to be, to show up as the best partner and father that he can be. And that involves coordination, right? That does yeah. at home with the, with all the childcare for five days, seven days, you know, these are pretty long retreats and Mm -hmm. that's an act of self-love for him to request that. And for them to have relationship agreements around that, right. It's coming from that place of, again, we're talking about needs of, I actually need this in order to thrive. And so Mm -hmm. for you, I love that need about novelty. I've never heard it said in that way, but I feel like I have that need as well. And it gives me more permission, like you said, to actually own what I need. And I, and I want to highlight a word that you used, which is selfish. And I think that's a way that a lot of us will shut ourselves down is, well, it's selfish for me to need that. Or it's selfish for me to want that. Yeah. I should, and I shouldn't need that. And again, part of self-love is coming to recognize what you actually do need. That is the first thing that has to happen before. How do I meet that need? It has to yes. be felt and known to be part of you and, and for you to work through the shame of having needs, for example, like that's step one before how do we meet those or how do we come to an agreement in our relationship? Cause it's not a demand. You're not demanding. I, no. you know, 
it's saying I have this need. And then as a partnership, you work out, okay, how do we meet that in a way that feels good to you? That works for me too. So you're not putting it on a partner saying, I need this and I have to have it. It's more like, here's a need that I have and we're going to mm-hmm. collaborate around it. It's not the same energy as it's not dominating. It's owning what's actually true. And then working as a team to figure out how both people can feel met in, in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, exactly. Yeah, oh, so- I, I want to speak to one point because we brought up selfish and I, I heard from a friend years ago, he goes, I don't use the word selfish. I use the word self-like, just like we have childish, childlike, selfish, self-like. So I, that's what I like to think of self-like I'm self-like when I'm recognizing these things. <laughs> I like that. Um, so as we're starting to wrap up, where can people find you? And <clears throat> we didn't really touch on this so much, but we are, you are running a retreat that I am attending and would love to, for you to describe a little bit of so that some of our listeners might be interested, know that that's happening because that's coming up in a few months. Yeah. So I live in Costa Rica and I, um, I love bringing people here. So in November, from November 9th to the 14th, we are having a retreat and it is for people, uh, that are in, that are exploring relating, um, relating of all sorts. So I put in the categories of there, we cover self-love, we cover, uh, different relationship structures and agreements. Uh, it is for people that are in relationships like mine that are in open relationships or polyamorous. It is also for monogamous people. Um, and as long as there is some understanding that monogamy is not the front and center, <laughs> I think we live in a world where we assume that most people are monogamous and we are kind of decentering monogamy in this retreat. We are saying it is one of the relationship structures and here are all the other relationship structures that are possible. And we want to talk about the skills that help all relationships, the relationship with yourself, the relationship with your partner or partners. Um, so that is, um, and I call it the, the retreat is called the nature of relating. Um, we are going to do somatic work. I, for me, that is like a big piece of what I like to bring. So ice baths, um, breath work, uh, sound baths, and also getting into the self-love conversation like we did here and more. And then also my, we have a fantastic mutual friend, Jolie Hamilton and her partner who will be there and she's co-hosting. She's also going to be leading portions around, um, the topics of jealousy and the inner counsel process, um, orgasmic, uh, intelligence. Like she's fantastic. Mel, I'm so excited that you are going to be there, um, that we get to hang out. I will and, be there. Uh, Yes, I know. Explore and play. I cannot wait to be on a catamaran with you. Oh my God. Last year we saw whales. <laughs> we oh. were on the catamaran and everybody was like, Oh my God, you could see the mama and baby like whales. Oh my gosh. That was like dream come true for me. So yeah, we still have a couple spaces left, but I would say reach out quickly because it's in two months. Um, and yeah. so those spaces will not last if people so are interested. Mm-hmm. To be clear, that retreat is for you if you are single or partnered. And if yes. you're curious about open relationships, but you're not ready to be open, that's fine. You are also welcome. So it's really for everyone. If you're curious, if you want to know more, if you are already in an open structure, but I, I'm a big advocate for couples and singles who think they might want to explore that come be around conscious people who know what they're doing Mm -hmm. (laughs) around it and who have explored topics like jealousy in a mindful way and can sort of prepare you, give you things to think about. You know, if you, if you, if you've ever been curious about that, 
I really encourage you to check it out. And I will put the link in the show notes because I think it's a, it's a bit of a long URL, right? It's not just nature. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'll drop that in the show notes. And then also what are your self-love offerings? Cause I know that's your, Yes, that's my, that's my thing. Uh, yes, I've got a free self-love mini course that's available um, that takes some of the things we talked about here and a good handful more, and that's just available for people. So they can find that emerypodcast.com. And also, I, I have a whole podcast. If people are interested in um, understanding my own journey around opening up the relationship and all of the learnings that have gone in there, I interview a lot of different people. Um, so I think I'll have you on uh, soon as well. I'm super excited. So yeah, Emory, A-M-O-R-Y podcast. And I think that's about it. I'm just so I'm grateful. I will drop that in the show notes as well, because there's a lot more, more content available there. Um, a lot. Thank you for coming on and for honoring your own self self care last week by rescheduling this. I think that was a pretty tangible act of self-love, like not powering through and trying to do it when you're depleted, but saying, I need, I need this to be rescheduled because I can't yes. as I want to. So thanks for modeling that. And I think that's a great, just concrete example of everything we're talking about. Yeah. Thank you. And I want to say thank you to all. I assume there's mostly men listening. Um, thank you for listening to this and giving it the time and space. And I'm so excited for you on your own journey, wherever you are, you're in the perfect space and you're not alone. Seriously, men, women everywhere around the world are really understanding that this is a pretty big topic. So you're not alone. Yes. And you're doing enough. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay. Thanks so much. Bye.